we knew that showing blood is actually one of the biggest steps forward that we could make as, as, as a company. So, you know, understanding that your power as a, as a mainstream brand, if you went out there and you kind of said, well, it's just blood. What is, what is the big deal? Why is everyone making such a massive fuss about it? Why are you getting so upset about it? If you, as a brand, um, as a mainstream brand, importantly, were able to go out and say that, you had the, the power to shift the paradigm around you. Hello and welcome to Arrest All Mimics. My name is Ben Tal and this is the Creative Innovation Podcast. How are you doing? Welcome. Morning. I'm sitting here on a Sunday morning recording this as I speak to you. Um, birds tweeting in the back garden. Nobody about. I'm not going to tell you the scene, how I'm dressed, sat here like a clown, but um, that's for me. <laughs> I hope you're good. I've got the fantastic Nadja Loscott coming up on the show today. Uh, that means the weather is strange blue liquid. That will make sense as the show goes on. We're going to be getting into branding taboos and discussing the power of creativity to create change. It's a good one. It's a deep one. Nadja is a creative partner at AMV BBDO. Huge communications agency, advertising agency, whatever you want to call them. They do uh, some awesome work with some massive clients and some really great kind of Projects for change, which we're going to get into very shortly. But first, I've got to thank the sponsors we get before we get into it all. Illustrationweb.com, founding sponsor, illustration and animation agency, providing everything from GIFs to fashion illustrations to wall murals to live artworks to campaigns, editorial, you name it, it's all going on. There's some beautiful work. A whole lot of artists, they're representing globally. There's a great blend of culture going on in this work, so go and check it out. Uh, you can also take a little look at the news section where they give you up-to-the-minute updates of client work, a uh, little behind the scenes peaks, how it's all been going down, what the client's saying, all that stuff. Some nice little insights worth checking out, illustrationweb.com. Heartinternet.co.uk tech sponsor. Been supporting this show for a while now, great supporters indeed they are. Um, they give us a little digital tip and I think it's in relation to something that Nadja talks about in this show. So we to get to, we get to talking about the hashtag blood normal campaign, which is the first time period blood was seen in an advertisement, you know, on TV and all that good stuff for body form, it's a, it's a breakthrough. It's great because it's such a, it's something that you know, God, whatever percent of the population um, of this planet has to deal with. So there's no getting around it. So why on earth has it all been a weird blue liquid for all this time? So we do get into that. But the tip is off the back of that, and and Nadja talks about how to make change. You know, um, you've got to piss people off. Um, basically she gave me this little quote actually uh, before we talked for the show which I thought I should give you a little preview to there's a great quote by Gloria Steinem which is the truth will set you free but first it will piss you off and I think that that's a great way of summing up what blood normal was for a lot of people that were ashamed of periods and had a visceral violent reaction to the uncovering of that shame. And it makes absolute sense. So, so the tip is kind of galvanise yourself. If you're going out there and you're trying to make change, you got to brace yourself for the haters. <laughs> Don't sound right coming out of my mouth, that. Um, but you've got to brace yourself for the backlash, you know. If you're making change, people have been stuck in their ways for so long, you, you get it, you know. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a vegetarian myself and I get it. You mention it, people's backs go up, you know, and, and a lot of my reasons are environmental. Um, 
And it's amazing, actually. You know, you, you really do have to steal yourself. And I think if you're doing that in the public realm and you're putting this work out there, and it's going to rattle a lot of cages. So I think prepare for it. Try to embrace it as best you can. Um, deal with it as best you can with your personality. If you're a tender, soft person, just stay away from it, I suppose. You know, it's kind of... Uh, yeah, it's an interesting one. Anyway, so there's some food for thought there. You'll hear what Nadja has to say about it. And I just think it's worth considering. So that is courtesy of hatinternet.co.uk. Foilco.co.uk, providing the biggest range of hot stamping foils to the design industry for a long time. They're awesome people. They do it great. They work with you to make sure it's not so intimidating. The idea of doing foiling can put people off when it's actually quite straightforward. And these guys are the experts and they really do walk you through the process. They're awesome. They visit design studios. They get out there doing their own wonderful multiplicity event i think you should talk to them it just really gives a lift to whether it's the business cards the the book jacket with the, the you know the debossed the embossed font with the foil in whatever it might be the whiskey bottle the wine bottle it looks stunning and i always loved it i never knew anything about it until i met the guys at falco i had matt hornby on the show um a few episodes back it's really worth a listen it gets really deep into that world of folding and foiling and it's fascinating stuff really really awesome and it does just make a big difference go and have a look at the the foil co branding i shared on the instagram account at arrest all mimics uh, done by studio db Dave Sedgwick, wonderful job, and the way he uses the foil in the branding for each of the multiplicity events and the the, the latest rebrand of the company, uh, it's amazing. So go and have a look. There they are, foilco.co.uk. The AOI.com, the Association of Illustrators, awesome supporters of the show. I did a, an episode last week for the Mental Health Mental Health Awareness Week. Um, go and have a look, I gave some tips from the perspective of a freelancer, they're kind of wrestling with the brains that we tend to have that make us good for the creative industry, um, got some nice feedback, so thank you people who did that, there's some good little, it's just things I've learned along the way, you know about mitigating the, the unruly minds that we tend to have that make us sensitive and vulnerable, so go and have a look at that for what it's worth, I wrote that for the AOI uh, that wonderful business emp empowerment campaign is going on as we speak loads of tips on the business side of things and they're basically campaigning to make sure that illustrators are looking after themselves on the business side of things making the money they should be making you know being paid fairly for the work that they do the specialist skills that they've worked long and hard to develop so that's uh, everything that's going on there's loads of things going on check them out for the latest events the rest of it they're, they're a great organization doing vital work so Go and take a look at that, theay.com. So that's the business. Thank you. Oh, a little, little thank you, actually. We'll get into it in a moment. But a little thank you to Bayo Printing and Fujifilm for helping Andy Cottrell and I out. Last week's guest, we're doing our show in London this week. Um, it's the Lend Me Your Ear project. We've been working it for five years, celebrating identity, self-expression and creativity through the... the broad raft of legends and, and quirky characters and loudmouths and subversive weirdos in the music industry that have inspired us for all these years. We're celebrating exactly that and we're doing it in association with Young Urban Arts Foundation and CAM, the Campaign Against Living Miserably Male Mental Health Charity. Um, we're, we're very proud of the work we've done and we want you to come down and see it. So it opens on the 24th of May in Stance, which is a sock shop in Covent Garden. They've got a beautiful basement space and they've given us it for the exhibition, so come down and have a look. Opens 24th of May, um, and it closes on the 6th of June. They're open 10 a.m. till 7 p.m. daily, and on a Sunday, 12 until 6 p.m. I'll be there from the 24th to the 26th of May 
inclusive uh come down and say hello i'll also be back on the 3rd to the 6th of june so if you want to pop in at any point and say hello chat about the show have a look at the work together please do that i'd love to see you come down tell me who you are i'm not going to lie i'm rubbish when it comes to social media and recognizing people from their handles and their avatars so do forgive me that might be the case i'm not rude i do care about you just social media overwhelms me at times <laughs> so there you have it um that's all that stuff yeah so come down like i say we're supporting young urban arts foundation next week on the show going to have kerry o'brien founder of young urban arts foundation in one of the most inspiring conversations i've ever had it really is it's a warm one she talks about her own challenges growing up getting involved with gang culture very briefly before music literally saved her life and we're going to talk about young people it's a story about young people youth and creativity and what's going on in the world at the moment in society so it's a fascinating one if that's your bag so come back and check it out without further ado today's guest well sorry before i get to that what have you been up to <laughs> it's pretty rude of me isn't it um let me know not enough people get i mean i get a lot of reviews on all the shows and feedback and stuff but i want to know what you've been doing tell me if it's a cool project i'd love to know so i can have it on the podcast i always get the feeling i'm missing great work that you guys are doing hit me up at wrestlemimics on the social whether it's instagram uh twitter tag me tag me in posts whatever it is whatever works for you just keep me in the loop a little bit more about what you're up to um, so that said, Nadja Loscott. So Nadja is one half of Nick and Nadja, creative partners, partners at AMV BBDO uh, Communications Agency in London. He came all the way from South Africa, so Nadja is going to let us in on that journey, on that story, on making that big leap to come and work at AMV. She's going to explain how that all went down. She's going to talk about the partnership her and Nick have. Uh, and we're going to get into branding taboos. So her talk is coming up at DNAD Festival. Um, it's this week. Uh, the DNA Festival runs from the 21st to the 23rd of May. If you're going down, please do go and check out Nadja because she's absolutely wonderful. As you'll learn from this episode coming up, she's an awesome lady. She's very passionate. Her work is very insightful. Um, and we're going to get into all of this. We're going to talk about the hashtag Blood Normal campaign, which was for body form. And like I mentioned at the top of the show, it's the first time that period blood was seen uh, on TV and advertising out there. And it's so bizarre because growing up, um, I was exposed all the time to those weird, when they kind of dribble the blue liquid on the sanitary pads to show you how absorbent they are. And it, it, it was kind of there subconscious at the back of my mind. And when Nadja mentioned it, and when I heard about it in this campaign, it's like, oh shit, yeah, that was that was period blood and I didn't know that growing up and that's kind of crazy because as I'll go on to talk about in the show um, I had a mother who was very open with me and told me exactly what was going on with the menstrual cycle and how it affected people's hormones and the way they feel and the moods and all that stuff so it's just kind of second nature for me you know when I started dating and seeing girls it was kind of I didn't think anything of it it was just yeah 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 I'm, you know I'm, I'm all about that my mum's told me it's it's fine and, and I know the deal don't worry about it you know you can't help how you feel it's always my attitude towards it and yet there it was, this big kind of taboo that I had no idea that behind the scenes that was something that was affecting the girls at school with me and then when they started to get to the point in life where they were having periods that that was a, a point of shame or something they wouldn't talk about. It's kind of crazy, I mean, as young lads growing up, you know, it was the first thing we wanted to talk about was the kind of was puberty and all the gross stuff of being boys, so I suppose it's a genetic thing in, in a sense. But you just don't think that that could be going on with girls or might be going on with girls or actually perhaps more to the point should be going on with girls and maybe it's not because of all this shame. Anyway, that's not really for me to say but we're going to get into all that with Nadja. We're going to talk about that, why, that was a, why that's a taboo and how this campaign created change throughout that industry and sanitary products and how the wider conversation triggers from that. It's a fascinating insight. Um, she's creative director on those projects. 
So we're going to get into all of it. We're going to talk about the trash aisles as well. Um, you know, the plastic island floating, uh, you know, the size of a country basically from plastic waste uh, in the North Pacific. She's going to get into how she worked with Lad Bible um, to basically turn that into this amazing campaign where they would make that a nation and try and gain recognition for that as a country so that other countries would have to clean it up the amount of people they got on board how they got Judy Dench as queen and all this stuff so she's going to touch on that as well uh, we're going to talk about ethics and advertising and how we can create change moving forward by working with consumers and with brands um, it's an interesting one please do drop us a little review for the show on whatever you listen to these things on stitcher itunes google podcasts spotify uh, it means a lot it goes a long way and it helps the show so please if you like what i'm doing here do go and do that um i'm not going to keep you much longer let us know what you've been up to all the good stuff at wrestling on social here it is i have a great conversation with nigel loscott crit partner amv bbdo so what so what so what's your background what's your story where are you from um well i'm originally from south africa um, from Johannesburg, that's mm-hmm. kind of where I grew up, and uh, then about eight years ago, Nick um, Hully and I, he's my, my writer, we moved over actually to join AMV, and we've been here ever since. Oh yeah? Yeah, um, both my parents are artists, so... I definitely didn't stand a chance in being a mathematician. <laughs> so I, I grew up. I grew up in quite a an arty household. Uh, my dad's a sculptor, and my mom's a a textile artist, and also does um, a lot of kind of sculpture and glass and things like that. Um, so we were always. My brother and I were always around art and. Um, drawing and doing all sorts of different things because my mom's a textile artist with lots of fabric and uh, fashion and embroidery and, and different kind of uh, textile things were always around the house and then with my dad sculpting and making things was always a, uh, an inspiration for me and my brother or, or we were f- we were forced to do those things because that's what what happened in in the house I think in a in a in a good way and yeah my dad's German so uh, I speak I speak German as well I speak German to my dad I speak Afrikaans to my mom and Afrikaans to my brother and my parents uh, speak English to wow. each other so we have. Uh, <laughs> There was always a lot going on. That's fantastic. I'd love to see it be a fly on the wall if someone completely alien to your household would come in and and see that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think it can get quite confusing. (laughs) 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 Yeah, so um, it it was thinking thinking back. I mean, at the time, it was we didn't really know any better. But um, if if you go to friends' houses and things like that. Our friends' parents were always tickled that um, they'd ask, they'd ask you, oh, "What is, you know?" They'd, they'd introduce you to one of their the, their friends and say, "Oh, ask Nudja what her her mum does." And I'd say, "Well, my mum's an artist." And then ask her what her dad does. My dad's an artist too. <laughs> and everyone always thought that it was such a strange, strange thing because they didn't really know 
an artist, never mind two artists at the same time. So it was always quite a, a, a novelty for people. And I, I guess I've just been very lucky with, with all the inspiration that they surrounded us with and, um, and basically created my career with. Was there ever a time when you felt when you rebelled against that in any way? I think they would probably say that I rebelled rebelled against art in the the purest form um, and gone more into the commercial side of side of things. But um, <laughs> I I mean I, I was I also did gymnastics, so I competed internationally for South African gymnastics and, and tumbling. So that was that was most of my kind of my life as a as a kid I was training uh, four hours a day and three times a week I was training six hours a day oh wow so I would do two hours before school go to school and then sometimes do four hours afterwards or do four hours after after school so my if if I did have another kind of career path that probably some something in the sports world probably would have been it if I if I were rebelling against the art. <laughs> That's quite interesting to me because as, as a big sports fan myself, and I don't know what how much it has to do with that, but I've, I can be really quite competitive uh, in a much more positive way now than when I was a kid. But did <laughs> did, did that help with, well, well, first of all, are you a competitive person? And, and also did, did that sports, that kind of athletic experience, did that... Um, did that influence your own work ethic in this industry in any way? Yeah, I think it definitely did. I think um, sport teaches you so much, and it's you know obviously you you probably have to be a competitive person at heart if you if you enjoy um, doing sport at that type of level. But I think that it's definitely it it's helped me be who I am as a person now and and we were always encouraged um you know because it was gymnastics was an all-consuming thing for for um all of us that we were always encouraged to do really well at school as well because it was always seen that gymnastics wasn't your career it was just something that you did on the side Mm. and I think that we were always encouraged to be you know a student's if you wanted to do the thing that you loved, which was gymnastics. So it was always a, um, it was a time management thing. So I think, you know, time management, I definitely learned through gymnastics and having to fit my schoolwork in mm. as well as, um, as fit my gymnastics in. Set you, um, set you a welfare agency life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And teamwork <laughs> as well, you know, it's, it's you, you, it's you're a team even though it's an individual sport you you know you're practicing with people you you know you've got a coach you've you, you you've got things that you surround yourself with and there's you know there's a lot of drama that goes and a lot of emotion and sports psychology that goes along with those things so it, it's definitely um helped me in in agency life and um 
and advertising. Yeah, and you mentioned you mentioned a really important thing about the perception of of gymnastics being something that you would just do separate. I, you know, historically, the, the visual arts have, have had that same stigma and still continue to do in some sectors today. Um, was there a point when, when you realised that this was something that you wanted to take forward as in, into the professional world? And, w- and what were your first inclinations of what that might be? Um, I always kind of had that, that, dual, that dual path of I would either do something in sport or I would do something... Um, in in the arts, I think because my parents, you know, my, my parents obviously encouraged us to to probably have a profession in in the arts or, or be happy in that kind of place because that's kind of who we who we were. I did have a short stint where I thought I, I would want to be a a lawyer, and the other <laughs> option was a wall photographer, um, and I think that's probably just the kind of um one of the things that i'm passionate about and i and i i like a good debate and i I like um you know being able to see things from from two different angles or a couple of different angles Mm. but i think that having having a, a kind of professional career in the arts probably was the thing that was most exciting to me and not being able to just do it on the side because it's not a it wasn't for my parents my my parents that was their career they didn't have secondary jobs so doing something in the arts for me never felt like it was a sideline thing as a career mm. it just felt like it was something that would be at, at, at when you know the right time yeah and i think that probably um because i was I, I love design, and I loved more probably what what you would, just, would term as the more commercial side of of art. It also felt like a more viable career path because I think you know it's, it, it is a struggle uh, being an artist and really really making it as an individual artist because a lot of the time you know you're not in a company; it is an individual pursuit where you're not actually given a lot of um, a lot of help or a lot of guidance. Mm. from different people so i think that i probably i chose the easier path in in the commercial side of things it's interesting isn't it yeah it's it, i mean it, god yeah it's, it's kind of the sharp end of <laughs> of the arts world i always think of it as fine art and it was something that always intrigued me but just terrified me at the same time yeah no it is it's it's it, <laughs> it is terrifying in its own way <laughs> so i mean so what were the how did the opportunity come up um, for the well? First of all, tell us about the role you're in now. What's what's the kind of the, the general day to day of your work as a creative director, and, and and how you know what were the steps to that role happening? Um, I guess the, the the role that I have now. There there are a few roles that we kind of that Nick, my my writer, and I flip between. So we're we're both creative partners, which is. Uh, more of a helping hand in the creative department of influence in a wider management structure. So you're kind of overseeing the, the department as well as, as helping shape the agency in different ways. But then we also creative direct and, and look after our own clients as creative directors. And then the other thing that we do is we still create and we still love making work at the same time. And I think what's amazing about AMV is that you're allowed to have that structure where you can actually 
dip in and out of all of those different roles and be creative directed by another team if you are if you're being the creative on a on a specific job then you, the objective opinion belongs to someone else mm. so it's it's nice to be able to sit in in different seats on different projects. So, and in terms of actually getting the role, so was it was it as simple as the opportunity came up and you applied for that? I mean, what were you doing at this stage? Um, we so our our career path. Uh, if, if I go all the way back, probably led led into the role. So, I mean, I I started as an assistant art director at an agency in South Africa called TPD. TBWA Huntless Gars, which at the time was the South African hot shop, and it had incredible teams and and creative directors that were winning at Cannes and and doing all sorts of amazing work. And they had a mentoring system as for art directors where you would assist a team, and if you progressed in that system, then you would progress to assisting more senior teams or or multiple teams. So you were constantly learning from people that were a lot more senior than you. You were going to meetings with them. You were you were literally shadowing them, which was an amazing. It was an amazing way to get into the industry to be able to to learn from them and go to meetings and understand how meetings work and um, understand how shoots work and you know you know we had. Um, a creative director that you couldn't go onto set for the first time without knowing exactly what happened on a set and what the different people did and what types of lights there were, and so you just had a deep dive into into um, all the knowledge that everyone that everyone kept. Um, and then once you once you left uh, the studio system, and the way that you left it was that you had to win an award. And then you could become your own fledgling art director as a team, and then you would carry on. So um, I was at Huntless Gyrus uh, for, I think, eight years or nine years. And that's where I met uh, Nick, my current writer. Um, so we've worked together for a really, really long time. And um, he's amazing, and I'm so lucky that I met him because... Obviously, the, the the partnership that you has a, have as a team is incredibly important, and you know I would never in a million years be where I am um, if it weren't for for Nick. And it's it's quite nice because we have a very um, I love art direction, and and he really loves writing, so we properly balance each other out in in our interests, but then are also able to meet in the middle and. Um, and I have commonality and crossover quite easily. Mm. Um, and we left Huntlescaris probably about eight and a half years ago, and we were approached by AMV, and um, we 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 weren't really looking to leave South Africa in any way. It was and then AMV felt like the the coziest, nicest, loveliest people and um, they obviously had a, a history of doing incredible work. So that's where we where we landed up and um, we've been there ever since. So 
we've kind of worked our way way into the world of of AMV and and you know you start like everyone you you start small and and you do the briefs that no one else really wants to do mm-hmm. and slowly slowly you work your way up and I guess we were lucky enough to to have the opportunity presented to us to become creative directors um, and then eventually to become creative partners. I love these stories of kind of unexpected change. They, they seem to come up time and time again. Um, how did that work in terms of your partnership? Was that uh, was that an invigorating experience to, to, to do that together? It was an incredibly scary experience. <laughs> um, I think we... We were obviously incredibly excited about it because, you know, these opportunities don't come up very often. Um, but you kind of, we were at the right, it came up for us at the right age. Um, and we felt like it was, um, it would be a great adventure to, to go on. And, and you kind of, you you look at, at all the different, you, you know, it's, it's where those, those, um, those roads split and you look at what all your other different options are and you know you've got London as a city and and the country that you're going to was a was a big tick because obviously we we, we love all the the amazing things London has to offer and then AMV and and your kind of career progression within that was a big tick and and then just the the general adventure of of being lucky enough to do it together because we hardly knew anybody here so it's it's quite a daunting and scary thing to move countries to a place where you're leaving your family behind you don't have any friends you, you know we knew you know maybe two three people each um and to come over and do it together was was great it was it, it's daunting but the the cool thing is that you, when you when you're a team and um, you know we're really good friends as well. It, it helps, and it's actually a, it was amazing fun. And um, you go through all the scary things together. I mean, you know, in South Africa, you 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 don't walk a lot. You take you know you take your car everywhere you go, and even being able to to walk and cross roads sounds really stupid, but but you it's it's something really new and being able to explore the city on foot and learning the the learning public transport the public transport system of, of oh if i if i emerge out of this this little hole here i needn't actually have walked three <laughs> blocks and taken the bus because it's right next to the other little <laughs> hole that you come can come out the earth on the other side so <laughs> it was um it was great fun and we actually nick and i lived together when we came over for the first couple of months as well because again you don't know anyone and then we were looking for our separate flats together and and you first you get a fright at how expensive London is and then you're worried that you might move in with a flatmate from hell so when the estate agent showed us a place a kind of two-bedroom place we we thought oh you know what this is so much so much nicer a place and you kind of don't run the risk of hating your flatmates. So we lived together for <laughs> for a while. I mean, I, we lived together for about a year and a half after working together, living together. We got sick of each other and and, <laughs> and went our separate ways. But um, it's it's actually a really it's a it's a great comfort to to have your best mate and 
and be able to go on that adventure together. Yeah, yeah, and you don't want to do that long enough so that the resent, you know, resentment starts to come up in the copy that you're doing for campaigns. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> you're trying to send each other secret messages about, <laughs> about your life. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I must I must say it's really uh, it was really quite an inspiring experience for me to to look through all the work you guys have done together as part of the research for this show. There's some absolutely stunning work on there, um, really quite impressive stuff. Um, so, I mean, there's a couple of projects I'd like to talk about, but first of all, I mean, I, I feel we should touch up on the DNAD talk that's coming up, the taboo branding talk, just because it's it's quite relevant actually to some of the things I want to talk about those projects. So, if you wouldn't mind just giving us a little heads up about what people can expect from that talk, I think it's probably just going to be a frank discussion about periods and vaginas, and <laughs> I guess why why hiding them isn't good for anybody's health and and being able to you know i think a lot of it will will for us will center around and doing it with our um, our clients uh on on the breast uh, body form martina who we did the blood normal campaign with and i think ours will will center around blood normal and the work that the breast and and st have been doing as a company and about how how breaking those taboos um, in an authentic way can you know make a dent in culture and make make a difference to to people's lives. So I think it will probably be around something along the lines of those. I think it sounds wonderful, and and then the Blood Normal campaign was. Um brilliant, absolutely brilliant, and and it was quite. I had, I had to laugh to myself when I was looking at all the work that you'd done for this. It hadn't ever consciously occurred to me about the whole bizarre blue liquid thing that was there before, <laughs> before th- blood, you know. Yeah. In those advertisements, and and, and then when, as soon as I saw the campaign, it was almost like a, you know, in films when you get the big reveal and you get the flashback of all the things coming together. It was like all these bizarre, weird eighties and nineties campaigns whirring through my head, and I'd never consciously picked up on on that that was actually representing blood, which is so strange. Yeah, it's a it's a really weird thing, and the kind of black backlash just on, you know, a single shot like that. Never mind all the others. It's it, it's just it's all in people's minds. It's just it's literally just changing a color, um, mm. and the the fear that associates that, that people associate with something as silly as a color is is unbelievable. I'm curious about the. the the, the the initial brief. So did did this brief kind of come as we see it from the client, or was this something that you guys came up with? No, it's um, so it's got quite a, a long um, it's got quite a long history. So when AMV first won the body form account, uh, gosh, it's probably about seven, six or seven years ago now. The the positioning that we landed on was live fearless and we went through quite a a long process of just pushing the boundaries of the category so you know it's it started off what you know looking back now in in, in quite a tame way and then um, the first massive change was Diego and Caio our what used to be our resident Brazilian, brilliant Brazilian team 
who are now not with AMB anymore, but they did a campaign called uh, Redford that was all about a woman in sport that that were bleeding. So actually show, showing women doing what they do and they happen to bleed and actually just associating that with with um, the period category because, you know, at the time, no one was even mentioning the word period or vagina and they're advertising. It was, you know, it was or vulva. It, no one even, everything was a euphemism. Everything was, was called something else and you were always skirting around the issue in, in the category as a whole. And um, so that was the first, the first big breakthrough. And then delving in further, Blood Normal came about through through research. So strategically, you know, we had we knew things like fifty six percent of of um, girls at school would rather be bullied than talk to their parents about their period. And other facts like nine out of ten women hide the fact that they're on their period. So, you know, uh, women will, will, including myself. Be, kind of take your your tampon from your bag or you take your pad from your bag, you stick it in a pocket or down your boot and then you have, make a covert mission feeling really embarrassed on your way to the toilet. You know, there are things like that where, you, where you're going through a very systemic shame every single time you're on your period, you know, three, four, five days uh, a month. Mm. And we understood all of that and we understood that one of the biggest problems was actually representation because no one was talking about it. All these different things were were kind of hidden in the dark in the kind of little shameful, all these different little shameful corners in, in literally everything period related. No one was talking about it. No one, no one wanted to utter out the, the word out loud. It, people always felt uncomfortable talking about anything to do with it and kind of involving men in the conversation and and literally showing we knew that showing blood is actually one of the biggest steps forward that we could make as 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 a company so you know understanding that your power as a as a mainstream brand if you went out there and you kind of say well it's just blood what is what is the big deal? Why is everyone making such a massive fuss about it? Why are you getting so upset about it? If you, as a brand, um, as a mainstream brand, importantly, were able to go out and say that, you had the, the power to shift the paradigm around you. So it, that was a really important part of the, the puzzle for us, to, to do it through representation and showing it in a really, really normal way because, you know, period representation in um, all the media that, that we've all consumed over over the years has always been so negative. I think a lot of people, their, their first idea of a period is the, the bathroom scene in, in Carrie, which is a complete, obviously a complete horror show. So they're all of these representations that, that are, are really gory and, and, and terrible. And if you think about when you're at your most vulnerable at the time that you're really young and as a young girl you're getting your period or or as a boy 
the, the girls around you are getting their period, it's actually a really confusing time, made worse by all the media and all the, the non-discussion going on around you. It's, it's always been very secretive. So all of that became what Blood Normal was about. It's and it, you know, it evolved as well. Us as a as a company, as as, and I mean that as as the partnership of of Lebrest and um, AMV, it's a rallying cry for how we behave as well. Because you can't you can't just tell people to live fearless. You have to embody that as as a company as well, if you want to do it authentically. So when we presented the idea. Martina and Tanya had been on that journey with us and mm-hmm. were incredibly excited um, and and saw the potential in it in it as well. So of course there there's always you know it it was an incredibly difficult uh, process and definitely one of the most well the most difficult process of Nick and my my careers because it's not in this case it wasn't. The client that you are fighting, you're actually fighting everyone around you and everyone telling you that you're absolutely crazy uh, for wanting to do what you're doing, so much so that you kind of turn around and <laughs> you ask yourself if you really are crazy. Mm. Um, and, and you know, I think if the post, it was a long process on getting everybody on board because we we have a, a central client, Martina and, and Tanya, and um, they also have a lot of local clients from different markets that they have to get on board. Um, they have the rest of the company that they need to get on board. They, you know, there are lots of different stakeholders in these things. Um, but also in Blood Normal, we were working, we were working with a whole lot of other people in terms of influencers and, and collaborators and um, Daniel Wolf and, and some such that came on board as our production partners. And the idea grew from there because it, it's, everyone has a different view of, of the world and their, their experience of, of periods and, um, and how they see the representation of it. So um, Daniel brought a, a, a hell of a lot to, to the process and, and being able to work through that uh, together as a as a team because you know we've got a massive team that is involved strategically and on the account side um, there are a lot of incredible women and men that all have different experiences of growing up and and all have that different experience of shame and being able to break that uh, that shame with empathy was the emotional heart of of the project. And it's and it's so well, in my opinion, it's so well captured in in the the whole, the whole thing. But but the but the film that was wonderful. It's just so it's shot in such a way that's so contemporary, but but incredibly warm and modern and and inclusive in the way that it, it read to me, um, which is which is great. I mean, did you was what was the response on that? Yeah, it was in, in incredible and. Um, uh, it, People were shocked, people cried, people felt that it should have been done a hell of a long time ago. You know, it's, it, it's 
you have when you see something that you haven't seen before in a completely mainstream open way you are, you are completely breaking open a taboo and a lot of feelings that you didn't know existed can flow out of that for 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 different people and 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 for a lot of different reasons so everybody had a, a very different very visceral reaction to the film and the different parts of the campaign as well. So I think that that kind of the, the openness is and, and the, the, the seeing things that they hadn't seen before and hadn't seen represented before was the special and powerful part. So a lot of people felt for the film that uh, they had different, you know, some people would respond to um, the guy in the shop buying buying pads because they just they just really loved that suddenly actually guys were involved because, you know, it's if you if you think about it, periods have always been seen as oh it's just a it's just a woman's issue. It's just like it's it's your problem. And actually, period shame isn't just a woman's issue. It's everybody's issue because it was created in a patriarchal society as well. So it's everyone had a, a different love for a different, a completely different scene or a completely different activation. You know, the period underwear that we did, um, that is shown in the film, but also that was made in a limited edition run with a, a French lingerie company, Dessus, and we worked with a, a, a feminist embroidery artist. And all, all those different touch points, you know, reaching into different parts of, of culture were really important, and, and the reaction to, to all the different little legs of, of the campaign were really amazing, amazing to see. And then, you know, you, you, the other thing is that uh, you have to sometimes piss off a whole lot of people to make something right for so many more. It's you can't. I don't think you can break a taboo without pissing off a bunch of people. But yeah, I think you're completely right about the pissing people off too. It's um, you know you have to sometimes just accept that that's that's what it's going to be. And like you say, if it's been a taboo for so long, then for some people, sadly, there's a reason behind that, and you've got to rattle those people to make change. You know. Yeah, exactly, and it's it's it's. I think the really important thing for for us was about the debate because by unlocking the debate, you can actually have a discussion about it, and uh, and once you are engaged in a discussion, what happened online was that people would say they hated it, but then other people would rally around and actually talk to that person about it and say and and. And debate with that person on on why it's not a problem um, to show it, and and that breaking down that shame was part of a societal and a very systemic issue. So I think that I, I think that you can't, as a client and and um, as an agency, you have to be able to go out there knowing that you're going to have a, re a negative reaction, but that negative reaction is is worth it and because you 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 can't change something without breaking something yeah i think that's a bit the really great way of putting it
it's, it's interesting and like you mentioned everyone's experiences I, I have this standout memory from being about I don't know 13 maybe I guess 12 13 and my mum practically cornered me one day and we always had a really kind of brash up and you know we, we talked about anything in our family and I remember my mum pr- pretty much saying right okay look you know you, you're getting to an age you're gonna date people soon and there's something I want you to know girls might be in a bad mood, at a, <laughs> bad mood at a certain time of month and it's not their fault and you can never be a dick to them and it, and it was just really kind of I was like oh, okay okay what are you talking about and she really kind of laid it all out for me and it stayed with me for all those years so you know that's my just my own little personal experience um yeah with, with it's, so, it's so important at such a young age because you're so impressionable and it's it's confusing it's really really confusing to have blood gushing out of you it's it's and if you understand it and and it's 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 how the people around you treat you as a as a young girl or as a young uh, young boy um to say oh it's totally normal it's it's nothing to be grossed out about it's it happens and it's and and you treat it with with authentic care and 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 that's how how you break down that shame and 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 actually just treat woman better mm. and and doesn't it doesn't it underline the power of our industry the visual communications in in that you've done it in such a way you know you mentioned the embroidered pants which i thought were wonderful and the way the film was shot in almost a feature film you know caliber standard it's it just shows the power of what we do and also the responsibility that comes with that to to work with the people who can make these changes right yeah um completely and i think that that the the beauty of of how monica our dp on the on the job shot it with such tenderness and such um it's such beauty she's just such an incredible cinematographer um, and and having her uh, her compassionate eye um, and empathetic eye really really um, makes that film and, and the way that Daniel envisioned envisaged it and um, the duality of, of, of that partnership um, is incredible and I, I you know I think we're we're it's we we're always so very lucky to be able to work with with such talented people. To, as a team bring everything to life because every everybody has their their different their different part to play and, and their vision to to bring to the project absolutely these things are always um a major undertaking and without that you know they could never be the success that they've turned out to be yeah and I mean, for you as a, as a woman, it must be an incredible feeling to know that you're breaking down those barriers for other, uh, you know, young women, older women, whoever. It, that must be such an empowering feeling. It's, fu- it's a funny thing. In a way, I don't really, I don't really think about it. I've, I've been, I've been lucky enough to also grow up with a, a very staunch feminist mother and be surrounded. I was super lucky to be surrounded with incredible. Uh, female leaders at our um, agency in, in South Africa, in TWA, that it it never it was never something that you weren't able to achieve um, or, you, you know, you as a woman that you were able to make change and nothing stood in your way, that, it, that people always treated you in, in an equal way and I was lucky enough to, to see to see the world like that and it's amazing to be able to to change 
things and and use the power of mainstream advertising to change things for for, for other people and, and be able to to break down uh, different taboos because I think it's a choice. It's the, in advertising is you can always push the world into into a better place, so however big or, or small that little that little change is for you. And I think that that's that's what the exciting the exciting thing is. There's there's a young there's a young um, female team at at AMV that are amazing and um, the Augustine told me the, the story the other day of how inspiring as a young girl she found Dove advertising because that was the only media representation of normal sized women and that's the reason why she got into advertising and it, I think that there's, there's such a, a fantastic truth about how you can actually change people's perceptions and make them feel better about them themselves and and let the you know the truth self shine and uh, it's i think that's what nick and i always find exciting in the morning and being able to go to work and, and be afforded to make those small or big changes I think it's hugely inspiring. Um, and as somebody who's recently been completely racked by the environmental conversation, you know, I've got, I've got one of these, I guess, the same minds that a lot of people have in this industry, which are quite tender, quite sensitive, um, which is per- perhaps one of the things that enables us to do this well. Um, but I've been, you know, hammered by the, the, the conversation around en- the environmental state of things at the moment. So to see um, the Trash Isles project is gave me great encouragement to see once again in the, in much of the ways that you've just talked about the the clever subversive um at funny you know visually appealing manner that you've gone about that project and created positive change um once again to me as someone who you know teeters on the edge of despondency at times and thinking is there any point it's these things that pull me back from that brink and go yeah yeah actually there is you have a skill that can can communicate with people so yeah get, get your shit together and and take inspiration from projects like this yeah it, it's i think that we i think we're all as creatives i think we're all super super emotionally charged and i think we come we all come with a side of uh, a massive side of cynicism um to life as well and i think that you do often forget that you can make small changes that lead to to bigger changes and and you know sometimes it is just it's in how you cast something or because it's the imagery that we as creatives put out into the world that people consume and you you as a i think that it comes back to what for me at least as an art director it comes um it comes back to art and, you know, with your illustration, it's, it's the joy that you put out there in the world comes back to you um, through other people and in, it multiplies that, that joy or that, uh, um, that emotion that you put into that or that change that you put out there is, is such an important thing for the rest of society. Well, yeah, and I mean the fact that this, this thing reached a, well, half a billion people, am I right in thinking? Yeah, and I, you know, it's the team that came up with the Trash Isles idea. 
Michael Hughes and Dal Almeida, the team that came up with with the trash aisles, because the the strategy behind it was that you know it was a year and a half ago, two years ago, the plastic in the oceans. It was kind of it was being spoken about, but it was struggling to to get anybody's attention and um, kind of looking at how to to highlight that that problem. You know, you have you have all these facts. You know that there'll be in a couple of years there'll be more plastic in the ocean than than fish, and that there was this massive uh, garbage patch in the, in the North Pacific. Looking at that problem and kind of seeing how how people would actually pay attention to it um, was a, a unique challenge, and I kind of I think that that Mike and Dell's solution to it, where they they thought, oh, well, why don't we just create why don't we just create a a country out of it and and come at it not as an advertising campaign but as a almost a kind of a political campaign which is completely um, unthinkable is just a really smart smart and different way of, of doing things and and then of course the partnership with lad Bible affords you to you know they've got such an amazing reach um, into into their audience, and and it, it just becomes it it, it just uh, snowballs from there, and, and because it was something that affect affect us all, um, and it, it it was topical, it became topical through through a, a clever way of, of thinking about it, and the, you know it's because it's so it's so ridiculous to think that that there's a man made shitty island in the middle of, of somewhere that is made from all our our garbage that we've put out there into the world that we don't even think about the fact that that plastic takes 500 years to possibly break down. Just a nice way of, of using creativity to, um, to, to put a firecracker up everybody's ass. Yeah, well, completely that, yeah, and and, in, and done in such, you know, I mean, God, when you've got Judy Dench as the queen of this this country <laughs> that you've created, I mean, this stuff is, you, you could never teach that, it's being completely responsive to the problem, but also sensitive to the idea that if you just shout at people and try to use shock tactics, it's either very short term or a non-existent response. You know, therefore, this stuff gets talked about in pubs, no doubt, in cafes, in schools, it's fun, it's quirky, it's done you know, visually, it's just, um, it's, you know, there's no wonder it, it, this stuff wins awards, let's put it that way. Um, yeah, I think, it's, I think it's just, if you know, it's, it's hard to make something go viral or it's hard to get into, get into culture and every now and again you're lucky enough to, um, to be around an idea like that where, where it just speaks to people and you, you've pressed and, the right buttons and pulled the right levers for for it to connect with people and and I think that that's when that's when the job becomes really rewarding. It's like the, the one at the moment that we're proud of is is um, Guinness Clear the the idea of of actually just rebranding plain old tap water because everyone's always embarrassed to ask for for 
for water when they're on a big night out. Whereas <laughs> in actual fact, it just helps you. And, and the, the brilliant Tim Riley thought, well, actually, why don't we just rebrand tap water? Because if you, if you love Guinness, um, then you're going to love Guinness Clear. And you kind of like, wow. and, you know, the, if you, if you do that with all the, the beery tropes that come with your memory structures of what beer advertising looks like, it's the emperor's new clothes. <laughs> it's actually just water, but it, you know, it, it, people, people are happy to order a Guinness clear in a pub now. And actually just, it's a, it's a laugh because you can say to your mates that you'll, you'll buy them a round of Guinness clear. And then you get the responsible, responsible drinking and, and a, a feel better in the morning um, as, a, as a perk on the side. That's, uh, it's, it's genius, it really is. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as, as, yeah, as someone who's you know, been laughed at countless times for throwing in a cheeky water, it's, uh, it's brilliant. <laughs> it's not cheeky, now it's just, just going to clear. <laughs> Um, this, this, this is you know what what I see happening now in advertising. You know, there's always been the sort of slight stigma about the ethics of it all. And I did a wonderful podcast with um, a guy called Mike Pernell, who's a designer here in Manchester, and he we talked about all the the ethical line in advertising and projects like this are, are, are brilliant, yeah, you know, fantastic and necessary. And it seems that we're really moving forward now in the, in the role of agencies such as AMV and in, in in playing a part in changing. Um, things for the better and in this was always going to be a slow process right and what i guess what i'm getting at is someone who has you know i look at the client work that i take on and it would be very easy to question the ethics of every single one of them right with a fine tooth comb but through the projects like this that you've done do you believe that moving forward we can encourage all of our clients to think more ethically and and to think about what they're doing um, in terms of working with you as a client, I think so because I think I think well, I think my belief is that every business starts out well, hopefully starts out with a purpose, and a lot of the time that purpose gets left behind when you start making money, and I think the the push would be to actually connect with your audience you have to have a purpose and you have to be authentic about it because you can very easily land up, as we've seen on countless occasions, if you don't do it authentically, you land up completely missing your audience and you land up in very, very hot water. And over time, you need to be able to build your brand um, to an exciting platform and, and one that really connects with people on a personal level because we all have a choice on what brands we want to associate with and what which brands we don't. And you have to, as a brand, be able to walk that fine line on giving people the entertainment and the, 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 the need that they have and want that they want to be associated with you. So I think, you know, places, uh, brands like Patagonia, for instance, is, is a great example of that, of, of, of ethics and really living your brand and, and, and set, doing what you set out to do and, and embracing everything on every level and, and in a way not taking yourself too seriously at the same time because you have to be able to let the audience into your brand 
because mm-hmm. I think that we've moved away we've moved away from just the kind of glass castle on the hill that is a brand it's it's when you do it right and you know uh, another great example at the moment is, is KFC and what they've done with their brand is if, if you let the audience into your brand or, or a Nike it's it's and you start having user-generated content which is everybody's dream as a as a marketer is oh then people will start creating things for you but you have to be able to be brave enough to set up the conditions and have a purpose and an authenticity within the brand for that to actually land up happening mm-hmm. yeah you're completely completely right and you know there's it would be wonderful to think that you know every every soft drink corporation would suddenly switch to glass bottles or you know all the, all these things that we have bugbears with but but actually but with through project like the trash aisles and, and through blood normal you know that I, my hope is that actually you can drive the conversation from the agency side of things too yeah but i think it's more than that i think that it's it's you know you do that through absolutely through the agency but i think that the the more important thing is that it, it's coming from consumers Mm-hmm. And that that when um, when it's actually land when when it lands up being about the bottom line, about you're going to make less money if you don't do this because people aren't going to take you seriously or people um, won't connect with you unless you change these things. I think that's where it really becomes interesting because as soon as it has an effect on the bottom line, then people will have to change. And I think that that's a really interesting dynamic that is that is happening, and and also being able to see, you know, in in, in the example of of Essity, which is the parent company of of Libres and, and Bodyform, you know, the, the amount of companies that followed what uh, Libres did is amazing. But Libres is able to lead that conversation because they were brave enough to actually break that barrier for the rest of the category, and it's good for their bottom line. So being able to spend that first dollar um, that they have on on of their advertising budget on more purposeful work because it really can make a difference in people's lives. That's where it becomes important, and and when other companies can see that it's good for a company like Libres, oh, it must be good for me too. And I think that's been proven time and time again, that purposeful advertising is something that um, is good for you as a business. So true and really well put, actually. You know, and again, we all have the power to vote, you know, as, as consumers. So when that when that kind of watershed moment happens with a the brand and, it, and think people follow that lead, then that's a beautiful thing. So, yeah, you couldn't have put it any better. <laughs> I'm really glad that I I um, sound articulate to you. <laughs> we absolutely... A lot of waffle <laughs> what it sounded like to me. <laughs> With AMV, that I, I was you know looking at the website and, and reading through things, and it was really great. What I was reading about what diversity means, you know, uh, to, to to the agency, that must have a, a, a huge positive impact on the creativity and the output. You know, if there's the biggest range of people that we that you can get in terms of you know someone that can relate to it to everything so to speak yeah i think that diversity is also such an important thing within any business but especially in, in the creative business where you're trying to come up with solutions um 
I think that you want to be able to put a brief into um, an agency and know that you're going to come up with 20 different solutions to the same problem. And that's not going to happen unless you have a diverse set of brains thinking about the same problem. Because, again, everyone's going to have a different point of view um, about the problem at hand. And I think that that's why it's not just important as a creative book, it's really important as, as a strategist or, an, or, or as an account team and the people that make up our, our client teams to be able to have the different opinions because it's not just actually, you know, the, the, the creative team and the creative directors that are responsible for the work. It's, it's a whole range of, of people that put their, their heart and soul into shepherding that work from idea stage all the way to the end. And, you know, I think that that's, an important thing and you know we've been lucky enough at AMV to have from my side amazing female uh, leaders like Scylla Snowball and and now Sarah Douglas who who are very passionate about it and um, and really believe in it. Well um, the last part of the the podcast I always ask for a question called the shark in the tank named after the Damien Hirst piece which is very divisive and it's I ask for a love and a hate or a positive and a negative about your creativity and the work you do it's a very wide open fun question um I think I mean what I love about creativity I mean not there's so many things but I, I love the fact that I'm I'm able to to travel and Nick and I are able to travel together and see the world and and work with all these incredible, um, amazing talents. And I think the, the thing that sometimes at three o'clock in the morning I, I hate about creativity is that it keeps you up at night and, and sometimes you've got so much passion for something that you, you land up forgetting about the rest of, of of your life and <laughs> and that creativity comes first and and you wake up and and you realize that that you've spent all this time on, on thinking about one certain thing so i think that that's probably in a way the duality of of creativity yeah oh i'm completely on board with that one <laughs> brilliant well um this has been wonderful and i really appreciate your time um oh it's a pleasure thank you for taking the time thank you so much to Nigel Oscott for taking the time out of the busy schedule ahead of the DNAD festival talk coming up which you really should go and see and I work at AMV um, it's awesome I love that I get to talk to the people behind these campaigns the minds in this industry I love to do this so if you love it too please drop us a little review on whatever platform you listen to these things to get us your feedback at Arrest All Mimics always delighted to hear from you I'm on Instagram Twitter Facebook, uh, whatever your preferred platform is, I'll keep an eye out. Can't promise on the messages, I'm a bit crap there, but I do get back to people when I see them. Even if it is two months later, I always forget they exist on Instagram, so my apologies if that's what I've done to you. <laughs> so cheers for listening. Um, let me know what you've been up to. I want to hear about any suggested guests, cool projects you've been doing, just something you've heard about. You know, it's, A lot of these episodes come up just through picking things up on the grapevine, so always important cheers do get us the feedback uh thank you to the sponsors illustrationweb.com heartinternet.co.uk foilco.co.uk and the aoi.com 
Uh, I hope to see you at the show. Please do pop down. Uh, Andy Cottrell and I will be there throughout the duration. It opens on the 24th of May at Stance in Covent Garden. That's 3 Neil Street uh, in the West End. We're very excited to do it. We're working with Young Urban Arts Foundation and Calm. Get us your feedback on the previous show if you want to hear about the whole project in depth and Andy's stories of rock stars and dealing with larger than life characters such as Kanye West, Pink, uh, Ian Brown, uh, Don Letts. It's all going on. All these big personalities. But also about the mental health side of that and what they represent and these kind of tender characters when you get them behind the camera. It's a fascinating show. Go back and listen to that one and please do get me your feedback. I hope to see you there. Come and have a coffee. We'll try and get the kettle on if we've got one in the building. I hope we will. (laughs) Uh, Cheers for listening, guys. The show's going good. The number's going up all the time. Got some awesome shows coming up. Next week, we've got Kerry O'Brien, founder of Young Urban Arts Foundation. She's a wonderful, wonderful lady, a true inspiration. And she reminds us all that we are in power, uh, even though we feel despondent sometimes about the world around us. It's a really invigorating one, so look out for that one. Please do come back and listen. All sorts coming up. We've got Sean Thomas, um, creative director of Jones Knowles Ritchie. I went blank for a minute there. Like I said, it's a Sunday morning when I'm recording this thing. Forgive me. <laughs> That's enough from me. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Thank you again to Nadja Loscott. Do go and check out the work, Nick and Nadja. That's N-A-D-J-A dot com. Uh, for Nick and Nadja's Creative Partnership website, uh, I'll put all the notes in the show link so you can go check out AMVBBDO. Go and have a look at the videos for the Blood Normal campaign. It's truly inspiring and the trash aisle stuff. It's the kind of stuff that I like to think that when you're at college, when you're leaving school and you've got an idea you want to be in this industry, it gets you going. It certainly does for me. Cheers for tuning in. Nice one, guys. Spread the word, please. Take care. See you soon.